This is author Raymond V. Feist. Hi, this is R. Scott Baker. This is Anthony Ryan. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show. Delilah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media Group. This is David Anthony Durham. Hi, this is Melanie Metters. Hi, this is Brian Stavely. Hello, this is Jesse Bullington slash Alex Marshall. Hi, this is Jeff Salyards. Hi, this is Michael R. Fletcher. The Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes Stephen Erickson to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward this episode is brought to you by the casebook of Esho St. Clair, the gibbering Mr. Cravat, and the current killer. The ebook by author Scott Roche, featuring two mystery stories from the case files of occult detective Esho St. Clair. In the gibbering Mr. Cravat, the elder gods are staging a comeback, and poor Mr. Cravat is just the first victim. Detective Esho St. Clair sets out to stop the priesthood before the invasion is complete, taking him from the homes of Victorian Manhattan's wealthy down to the Undercity where creatures of legend dwell. In the case of the current killer, Detective Esho takes on the ghost of Nikola Tesla as a client and must prove Thomas Edison guilty of murder. After being tapped to create a superweapon, St. Clair must stop the techno-magical nightmare before it rips the fabric of reality wide open. The Casebook of Esho St. Clair by Scott Roche. Genre-blending adventure, magic, and intrigue, page-turning fun for any fan of speculative fiction. Download the ebook today on Amazon for only $2.99 and for more from the story worlds of author Scott Roche, visit scottroche.com. That's R-O-C-H-E dot Aspiring authors, publishing is tough. Whether you're an experienced pro or an aspiring debutante, you deserve affordable quality editing services that can take your manuscript to the next level. So write this website down, lauramhughes.com. How's this a list for no-brainer reasons you should make Laura M. Hughes your editor? A first-class honors degree in English literature? in addition to a distinction-level master's degree in the same subject, and a postgraduate certificate in education. Laura also has a vast and current knowledge base of speculative fiction, including publishing articles for Tor.com, and self-publishing her own novelette, along with years of being engaged with the fantasy community as a contributor to Fantasy Faction and the self-published Fantasy Blog-Off. The question isn't if you need editing services, the question is who you can trust to give your manuscript the proper attention it needs. Proofreading, copy editing, line editing, you name it, Laura M. Hughes can provide you with the editorial services essential for publishing success. Don't let your publishing dreams become just a fantasy. Visit lauramhughes.com today. lauramhughes.com This episode is brought to you by Fishwilder by J.R.R.R. Jim Hardison. After a cataclysmic showdown 1,002 years ago, legendary depressed barbarian Thor Almighty Fist is hoping to get himself killed on one last adventure when he stumbles onto a sinister plot. Together with his best friend Brad the Talking Koi Fish and his noble steed Warlord Horse, they set out to battle the Heartless One, leader of the Dark Brotherhood of the Bad Religion, to find the pudding of power and save the people of Grome. The first in a funny fantasy trilogy that author Piers Anthony calls One Wild Romp, and Kirkus Reviews says rivals the wryness of Neil Gaiman. Fishwielder by Jim Hardison, an epically silly epic fantasy of epic proportions. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, and Kobo from Fiery Seas Publishing. Visit fishwielder.com to pick up your copy today. That's fishwielder.com. Fishwielder by Jim Hardison. One pudding to rule them all. And coming October 3rd, Jim's new book, Demon Freaks. It's like Evil Dead 2 meets Bill and Ted meets the Dresden Files. You're listening to the Grim Tidings podcast, author Thunderdome, Charles Phipps versus Rob J. Hayes.
It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm Rob Matheny. I'm Philip Overby. And we're back today with another edition of Author Thunderdome, where we bring on two awesome authors for a chat and then have them duke it out in a literary battle of wits. Our last edition of Author Thunderdome featured authors Kenny Soward and Seth Skorkowski. And you can check the show archive at thegrimtidingspodcast.com for all the blood-curdling, bone-crushing author interview podcast action. And Philip, I'm excited AF about today's guests because not only have we interacted weekly, if not daily, in our Facebook group, Grim Dark Fiction Readers and Writers, and have been Facebook friends with both guests today for going on, what, two or three years plus? But they're also consummate publishing professionals and do a great job of writing some pretty fantastic books, and it's cool to finally get them on the show today. Our first guest hails from Ashland, Kentucky, and is a lifelong student of horror, science fiction, and fantasy. As an avid tabletop gamer, he found his true calling of being a writer, and has since gone on to write multiple novels, including Agent G, Cthulhu Armageddon, Esoterrorism, Lucifer's Star, Straight Outta Fainton, The Super Villainy Saga, Wraith Knight, and the forthcoming I Was a Teenaged Weirdeer. You can find an extensive list of reviews on books, comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and much more at his blog online at unitedfederationofcharles.blogspot.com the Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes author C.T. Phipps to the Thunderdome. Hey, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on the show today, Charles. And our next guest currently resides in Derbyshire, UK. He started writing at the age of 14, and after four years of university studying zoology and three years as a desk jockey, began writing fantasy novels and has since gone on to write multiple fantasy series, including The Ties That Bind, Best Laid Plans, and It Takes a Thief. When not writing, he participates in a number of nerdy activities, including card gaming, computer gaming, board gaming, dice gaming, airsoft gaming, or pretending to be a Viking. Skyping in from across the pond, the Grim Tidings podcast welcomes Rob J. Hayes to the Thunderdome. Rob, thanks for hanging out. Hi, thanks for having me. Delighted to get you both on the show. Like I said, we've been Facebook friends for a super long time, and it's good to finally have an actual conversation with both of you today and i'm pretty sure that today's episode is going to get obscenely nerdy both uh rob and you charles are pretty pretty nerdy from what i've gathered over our interaction over the the past couple of years and of course me and phil are nerdy as fuck too so it's going to be pretty pretty obscenely nerdy today i'm, I'm sure of it and, and ct you're in kentucky and phil being from mississippi i'm pretty sure you two are kinfolk uh har, har, har. <laughs> i live on the complete edge of ohio so i pretend to be from there uh. <laughs> You just I just went across the river and just claimed I uh, was uh, marooned on the other side. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I've never been to Kentucky or Mississippi, so I'm sure it's delightful. Well, good for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ashland is a nice place to be from. And Rob, it's good to get you on the show today, too. We've been Facebook friends forever, and I've wanted to get you and Charles both on the show for some time, so I'm glad to get you both on. But it's the British Invasion here on the Grim, Grim Tidings podcast. We actually had uh, Anna Smith-Spark on the show just recently. We've got you on the show today. We've got Ed McDonald and Anna Stevens coming on the show as well. So it's the British Invasion going on. Phil, you'd, you'd hope that the show would get a little more civilized after all these Brits coming on the show, but uh, it doesn't seem to be happening so far. No, we just keep saying fuck and shit mm -hmm. and ass <laughs> and butt <laughs> and uh, boo. You in all fairness, we, we say those things as well. We just say them with a much nicer accent. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk some books. That's generally the, uh, the topic of conversation here on the Grim Tidings podcast. Both of you are writers in your own right, authors of fantasy fiction and multiple genres for you, uh, Charles, as well. Um, Charles, why don't we talk about uh, your newest title that you have available? It's uh, Lucifer Star, and it's, a, it's like a grim, dark space opera. Is that right? Yeah, it's definitely a dark space opera. I created it sort of as the anti-Star Wars. I, After waiting you know, decades, finally, for the sequel to uh, Star Wars, 
Wars to uh, drop with The Force Awakens. I watched it and I thought, okay, that was okay, but I could have done it so much better because every fan thinks that. Uh, but And I was just right in this occasion. But in the case of Lucifer Star, I was thinking, so what if we uh, had this big epic uh, war between good and evil kind of things, but the good side wasn't actually all that good. And the bad side had its uh, reasons. And we uh, follow up uh, the typical blasters and lightsabers sort of world with you know the human cost things like pe- the same veterans who are flying around starfighters being shattered broken remnants suffering from memories of the things they've done and the horrible uh, sights they've seen and you know uh see how that uh plays out in this case it was a story that appealed to me and all the various grimdark i was reading at the time ranging from the witcher to a song of ice and fire uh, influenced me, and I created my sort of dark, uh, epic world that people are just trying to survive in. And uh, how many I, books do you have planned for that series? Uh, it was one I would just writing with a seat in my pants, and the story's coalesced into a, a trilogy uh, that I'm going to do with also a side uh, book on it, and if I want to do a trilogy afterwards, I might just do that, which is basically how Rob J. Hayes does his books. And uh, Mark Lawrence, <laughs> too, both of which I uh, have in my admiration for and Rob J. Hayes, let's talk about your book. So you, know, you have uh, three fantasy series um, available right now, The Ties That Bind, Best Laid Plans, and It Takes a Thief. Let's talk a little bit about your Best Laid Plans duology. You have uh, Where Loyalties Lie is book one, and then you have The Fifth Empire Man, book two, which is actually coming out uh, in September, if readers wanted to check that out. But give us a little sneak peek of the Best Laid Plans series and what readers can expect from that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd describe... Where loyalties lie, and well, the, the series Best Laid Plans is grim, dark on the high seas. It, it, it's set in the same world as, as the ties that bind, which is I call First Earth, and in, it's it's definitely a grim, dark world uh, where bad people do bad things and usually come out on top. Um, lots of moral gray areas. But where loyalties lie, I wanted to do something with pirates. I love pirates, you know, from watching sort of like the old classics and, and pirates of the Caribbean films and Black Sails. Things like that. So I wanted to do something about pirates. So I wrote Where Loyalties Lie. Um, but it, it, it's, it's a lot more Black Sails than, than Pirates of the Caribbean um, in that sort of fashion. It takes place during a golden age of piracy where you know, pirates are sort of like running rampant and, and there's too many of them for that to be sustainable. They're, they're, they're doing too much of the actual pirating. Um, so the other, other kingdoms around them are forming an alliance to purge the pirate isles once and, once and for all to try and remove the piracy problem. And then one captain, Drake Morass, um, intends to fight back by uniting all the other pirates into a navy the likes of which the world has never seen. But of course, pirates being pirates aren't too keen on actually forming an alliance. They're kind of just out for themselves. So it's got plenty of naval battles, sea beasties, betrayal, and violence, and lots of rum. There's plenty of drinking goes on, as there should be. And most of all, there is actually piracy going on, because I've, I've read a lot of sort of you know pirate fiction, and most of it doesn't actually contain any piracy. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean. There is one act of piracy during the entire of however many films there are now. In the first, the first film where they assault, they, they sack a town. That is the only piracy that happens in the entire series. So I wanted my pirates to actually be pirates. So they, they do sail around and take ships and kill people. <laughs> And then that series is a duology. It is, yes. Uh, the first one's Where Loyalties Lie, and the second book, which is releasing tw- uh, September the 26th, is The Fifth Empire of Man. And so that's book one and book two, and we'll have uh, in the show notes for both Charles and for Rob, we'll have uh, links to Amazon. So if you wanted to uh, pick up the titles that we uh, mentioned on the show, be sure to check out the show notes. 
both of you are actually, both you, Rob and Charles, are, are bloggers in your own right. But you, Rob, mentioned uh, the importance of taking a creative break now and again. And we wanted to ask you what are both your philosophies about just chilling out and then letting the creative juices percolate more? Yeah, I mean, I, I think taking breaks is actually quite important. Some people disagree. I know some people just tend to work until they burn out. But I, I feel that taking breaks allows you to sort of like recuperate, especially after writing something like a, a very intense scene. I feel that you really need to take a break to let yourself calm down because you can't write those sort of scenes without being emotionally invested in them. But I also feel that sometimes if, if you just take a break from, from writing, take a break from the thinking about where it's going, it can actually help some of the best ideas come. I, I actually wrote a blog a couple of years ago now saying uh, all the best ideas come out of the toilet, which is based on the fact that as long as I don't have my phone with me, that, that's, that's a bad thing. Um, if I'm sat in the toilet or in the shower, I have some absolutely amazing ideas because I've got nowhere to go, nothing else to think about. So my brain just sorts of works on, on, on those sort of ideas. And it, I think it's all about engaging certain parts of your brain and shutting off different parts. So if you think about something else, but then you've got whatever you're working on in the back of your mind, your brain works on that and you can come up with some different ideas to, to what you might have if you were just solidly trying to think about it. That's a good name for a book, I think. Uh, all the good ideas come out of the toilet. <laughs> I would buy that. So, uh, Charles, what do you think about the importance of taking creative breaks? Do you feel like... You need to take some uh, now and again, since you write in a lot of different genres, maybe it's not as mandatory for you. How do you feel about it? Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm like, no, no breaks for me. I'm actually against taking breaks because I tend to view writing as something which is its own form of relaxation. Mm. I don't think you should try and force yourself to write one specific thing, one specific project, though. Whenever I suffer from writer's block, I usually take a break from that specific subject and switch to something that's more interesting to me at that very time. It's how I ended up writing my comedic supervillain series, the supervillainy saga, when I was writing my finger wag magnum opus esotericism, which was a supernatural spy series. The funny thing being that uh, esotericism ended up bombing <laughs> hugely, while uh, the supervillainy saga actually became a best-selling series for Audible. And it keeps on happening to me over and over again with these series. I, I get the idea that I want to write in this genre. I immerse myself in that genre. So if I'm going to write Lucifer Star, I'm writing, I'm watching everything from Battlestar Galactica to Star Wars to reading all sorts of dark uh, sci-fi and Warhammer 40K. And, you know, eventually I do burn out on it. And I, but by that time, I'm usually finished with the book and I'm ready to move on to a new project. <laughs> I think you need to be a little, little bit careful when you're taking breaks from a project to write another project. Um, I, I'm currently taking a break from writing in my first Earth world to write in a different world, which I'm currently taking a break from that world to write in a completely different world again. So oh, if it goes oh, much further, there's just going to be a, a dozen unfinished projects lying behind me. Oh, no, no, no. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> I, I don't totally. I, I was uh, like, OK, I have to stop. I'm not going to write any new series. I'm just going to focus on these uh, for the pretty much the rest of my writing career there is like, oh my god, I totally need to write this uh, story about a, of a teenage were-deer that assaults murders. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've, writ I've written not just the first book, I'm now halfway through the second book, which with like three other books, they're almost done, but I can't bring myself to finish off right now. Let's uh, let's let's go further into that. Your book is called I Was a Teenage Wear Deer, which is a fucking awesome title. Uh, you mentioned that you do work in multiple genres. How do you feel that working in multiple genres can strengthen you as a writer? And would you recommend doing this for new writers? If you're if you're a, a lot of new writers like to dabble in lots of different genres, but maybe it's not the best idea to jump around too much if you're new to the game. Uh, how do you feel about that, Charles? 
Well, it's a very complicated uh, series of issues uh, there, but how I figure it goes is I was a teenage weird deer is how my mind just refused to be bound by my attempts to rein it in. I was thinking, man, I just need to focus on my current series and getting them finished. Then Jane Doe, yes, her parents were very cruel, appeared in my mind fully formed like Athena. Just the sort of darkly humorous murder mystery series uh, with a person blessed with the least useful but still plausible shape-shifting imaginable. I mean, y- yeah, if you were a stag, it would be okay, but really a deer? What does that benefit you, aside from running away? <laughs> Eat As corn? For- yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I, my, uh, my occasional writing partner, uh, Michael Zuckus, is a, a biologist in uh, his normal life there, and he just kept throwing these random deer facts that I'm like, do you want me to incorporate these things? <laughs> uh, it's like they can eat nothing but, uh, but junk food because their stomachs are stronger or something like that. It's like, okay, man, uh, I'll take your word for that. As for whether authors should try and dabble out genres, I think that's putting the cart before the horse. I don't think there's any problem with authors branching out over multiple genres. If you have a story, you should write it, and uh, don't worry too much about your brand, because it's kind of like being typecast. I mean, when you're typecast, you definitely get a lot of roles because people like you, and that's their role, but you also limit yourself unnecessarily. One of my favorite urban fantasy writers, Kim Harrison, who is actually the children's author Don Cook, was terrified of writing her sexy uh, fantasy series because she had uh, already established a brand as someone doing uh, novels for younger people. And I'm like, if you worry about that, you're going to uh, divide your fan base because some people are going to want to switch over from series to series, and that'll be good for your audience, but most won't, and that's just how it should go. Rob, I was going to throw that question to you. Uh, you you tend to specialize in sort of grim, dark, epic fantasy. Do you have any plans on branching out to other genres? I actually have. I mean, my it takes a thief series is um, much lighter. It's a steampunk um, heist caper essentially. So that's that's my first genre switch already. And um, later this year, I'm intending to release a sci-fi noir uh, thriller, which is another one. But what I found is. Uh, because I built a fan base w- within the grimdark sort of community, when I then switched over and released a book that was this you know light and and happy steampunk heist caper, I actually received some very negative reviews because of it. People were quite incensed with the fact that I'd, I'd changed things up and written something completely different. I even received a few fairly negative emails from people saying, you know, you tricked me into buying this book, which seemed a little bit harsh to be honest. But at the same time, while that sort of happened, I, I feel it's it's been quite helpful writing in different in different genres. It allows you to not only take a break from uh, you know worlds that you may be getting a little bit not bored with but stale, but it also allows you to use different sort of terms and terminology and and shakes up the, the way that you write. As my editor has recently put it, it can change the crutch phrases that authors rely on because apparently a lot of my characters take deep breaths and sigh a lot, which is a crutch <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Uh, it's a great phrase though Uh, so many uh, of my conversations have been blinking, sighed look to me, look to them oh yeah, lots Uh, of sighing lots of hard stares that's that's where I tend to go (laughs) I want to bring Harumphine into the mainstream (laughs) no one does that but but literary characters So on the subject of Grimdark, let's let's dig into that a bit. Uh, we've kind of talked about this uh, ad nauseum on this show, uh, almost 100 episodes now. Shit. Um, wow. Congratulations. Almost. Yeah. Almost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we've we've kind of heard from all sorts of different people about what they're uh, feeling about what what is Grimdark. Uh, we've come across a discussion in the Grimdark fiction readers and writers group uh, on Facebook 
about grimdark becoming uh, memefied or oversaturated, the term. Let's talk about that a little bit. How do you feel about the use of the term grimdark as kind of a catch-all for anything that's dark or anything that's uh, kind of remotely grim or even at using it in, as a, in an ironic way as uh, uh, having something cute and fluffy and then saying it's grimdark? Uh, Charles, what do you think about this uh, topic? Uh, Sturgeon's Law is 90% of everything is crap. I think part of what grimdark fans are experiencing now is the same thing that happened to cyberpunk and steampunk fans. Uh it gets some seminal works, which establishes the mood of the genre, so to speak. People like your Joe Abercrombies, your George R. R. Martins, your Martin Lawrences. These works are followed by people in their footsteps who start to codify what the genre is, uh, like Rob over there and uh, me. Why not? Then you uh, get your fanboys and girls who like to think everything they like is fitting in this category because – for whatever reason, you develop this kind of religious devotion that I only read grimdark or whatnot, mm-hmm. and so everything I read must be grimdark. You know, that's where you're getting like, and Tolkien's Silmarillion is totally grimdark, and I'm like, if that makes all of fantasy grimdark, I mean, I'm sure there are darker parts than most, <laughs> but you you don't, but there's a very specific meaning that you're deviating from, and the more you widen the meaning, the more it becomes meaningless. I mean. I've written what I consider to be grimdark, grimdark novels in Cthulhu Armageddon, The Tower of Zal, and now Lucifer Star. They're very much stories about moral ambiguity, somber anti-heroes, and the fact even when you try and do something right, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't, but even if it does, the world is still going to suck. That's just my interpretation of the genre, uh, nor fantasy and sci-fi, if you will. However... You know, I've also had uh, some of my other books like uh, Esotericism and Wraith Knight told to be grimdark, and I don't think that there because those are those are books where dark things happen, but they're also generally about heroic characters trying to make things better and do. But because I write grimdark in one other series, everything I apparently do is grimdark. I mean, I've read uh, It Takes a Thief series by Rob Hayes, and it is some of the silliest, funniest uh, things I've done. It's like if you took the Gentleman Bastard series and removed all the all the grim and uh, replaced it with fun. And I love it. I don't see any reason why I can't read both. But it's not grimdark. <laughs> <laughs> Remove the grim, replace it with fun. <laughs> fun dark. I it. Read it. Now on you should be the fun tidings podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are quite fun. What are your thoughts, Rob, on the uh, over-grimification of grimdark or overuse of it? I, I, I agree with Charles. I think that it is being overused people are just like yes i like this it must be grimdark um i think the big problem is the fact that there is no clear definition of what grimdark actually is um whether it's a, a genre a subgenre a movement or whatever um and because there's no clear definition of what it actually is it's it means different things to different people but i, I don't really have an answer because I, I i don't know how one goes about actually setting definitions of things i mean where did things like dark fantasy actually who set the, the 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 actual genre of dark fantasy who set the genre of epic fantasy so i i have no idea how to actually how to actually answer that sort of that that particular question but it's definitely because for me that there is no clear definition so everybody's just like yep that's grim dark so is that yep that too i think a few authors had told us in the past and maybe mark lawrence has said this also that if people call him grim dark and they like Grimdark, and it causes them to buy his books, then he's happy. So whatever label people want to put on something, it's fine with him or uh, fine with a lot of authors as long as it's getting them more sales. And that's kind of the point of genre anyway, is to introduce people to more of like-minded stuff. So I think maybe that's where the 
the oversaturation of the term comes from is that there are people that are excited that they found something that fits into what they want to see in fantasy or sci-fi, uh, which are the main uh, two genres we see grimdark in. Uh, so they like to apply that term to lots of different things. It's kind of one of those organic things that you let happen. And I think the more people kind of say, well, that's not grimdark or that is grimdark or wait a minute, this is grimdark. This isn't grimdark. Then people start to, to kind of like, and eh, this, you know, I want to, I want to fight against whoever's telling me that's not grimdark. It's like a punk rock, uh, mentality, I guess. Uh, so that's what I've noticed with the term is that it, it does get thrown around a lot, but I think the more people say it's not that, that the more people want to say it is that. I have some thoughts on the subject if you want to hear them. Yes, of course we do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, in my opinion, grimdark is a term and a descriptor which accidentally became a genre. <laughs> it's also a solution for a problem which I don't think actually existed. Uh, but I'm, I think it's great that it's uh, become what it was, but it sort of happened uh, – outside the fantasy and sci-fi fandom that sort of just leaked in. Um, I'll, I'll explain what I mean here. Uh, I think the public, finger wag, had the impression of fantasy as elves, gnomes, paladins, and everything being stark, good versus evil. You know, they had a very shallow view of the genre. And, you know, that was never actually the case there. I mean, even before Tol uh, before Tolkien, there was Conan, and uh, after Tolkien, there was Elric, and we have the Donaldsons and the Cooks. And, you know, the, the dark side of fantasy has always been there. I mean, the first quote-unquote fantasy was the Epic of Gilgamesh, and that was a really, really freaked up thing, if you actually read it. <sighs> and... Well, you know, then George R. R. Martin and uh, the darker uh, interpretation of the Lord of the Rings uh, hit the movies, and it's like, oh my god, fantasy can be serious! And people were like, you know, I want to read dark and disturbing fantasy. And, you know, then people just found that that was always there, and they formed them into the little category that they did. I'm not really sure it's about dark and disturbing fantasy. It's, I think it's more about fantasy with more um, realism involved in it. Um, if, if you think about it, a lot of what is termed grimdark is it's it's fantasy, you know, not always with the elves and the, the dwarfs, but it's definitely set in fantasy worlds. But it's more to do with moral ambiguity and the gray characters. And, you know, th there isn't a clear definition of good versus evil, which is more like real life. So I, I think that's 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 m more about where it sort of comes from. It's more about realism involved in fantasy rather than just dark and disturbing things happening in fantasy. Well, you know, realism for a lot of people is dark and disturbing things happening to good people for no damn good reason. <laughs> True. <sighs> you know, I mean, there's, uh, as people have said there, uh, the big thing about uh, George R. R. Martin is he just took the uh, sheen off of medieval fantasy and showed just what shit show it was already. And, you know, if you if you go just about in any history there, you know, there's all sorts of things that you never buy in your normal fantasy stories because it is people acting on lust, murder, and hate. Does everyone kind of feel like George R. R. Martin is the reason Grimdark is a mainstream word? Uh, he's uh, Martin is to Grimdark as uh, Tolkien is to modern fantasy up until several years ago. Do you equate the two together? On my end, I think of Martin as the person who popularized in the public consciousness the, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, because not used necessarily Grimdark itself. But dirty fantasy, which is uh, the way it uh, should be, in my personal opinion, uh, it was, again, in my 
I think, always there, but definitely brought into the public consciousness where you have all these essays like going like, fantasy is just totally different now, and, you know, that's bullshit. But uh, Martin did do an amazing job for opening up uh, doors for a lot of authors, too, because uh, people who would not normally get published or uh, have their books show their dark and dirty stories when people were wanting fluffy or uh, pretty ones uh, now suddenly can because it's like, oh, is this like George R. R. Martin? And they're like, not really, but sure. <laughs> so we're saying he's basically the patron saint of Grimdark. <laughs> you know, that's, it's kind of also uh, funny there that other uh, stories that had already been there were rediscovered because of and I'm totally butchering this poor man, uh, this poor author's name there, Andres Sapkowski and uh, oh, Europe and yeah. the Witcher series. Uh, he had all he was famous in Poland, not much anywhere else. But then his games came out in large part because they were dark and gritty fantasy, and uh, because of Martin's book, people were willing to publish that, and that made the Witcher series a massive mega success. That's now getting its own Netflix series. And it's all, it's just basically the idea of uh, a fantasy western where you have this mutated uh, swordsman wandering around killing things. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge fan of that series. And the one of the reasons I like it so much is because it does kind of blend traditional fantasy with kind of a grim, dark feel. I mean, there are elves, there are dwarves, monsters, all those kind of things. But it still has that realism to it, even despite there being lots of magic and those kind of elements to it. It's like, you know, one point in the books there, uh, our, our heroes are just like chilling out. and Oh, they're killing all the uh, non-humans in the city because in just like a direct parallel to what often happened to minorities in medieval times. Pretty grim, dark. Yep. Like I said, you can't, you can't match uh, history for uh, messed up things. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we can talk about uh, publishing a little bit. Rob and you, Charles, kind of have varying trajectories on what you're publishing and how you're publishing currently. Now, for Rob, you're currently self-publishing all of your books, correct? I am, yes. Now, you were with an indie publisher, but then you got the rights back and you're now self-publishing. So about how many books are you writing per year? Um, I'm writing three to four books per year, um, but I'm intending to publish about two books per year. Do you have an agent or are you looking to get with a big five publisher? Um, I don't have an agent at the moment, but you know, if a, if one of the big five publishers comes calling, I'm not exactly going to turn them away. <laughs> so, but are you querying or anything like that, or looking to go from there, or are you just kind of comfortable with the self-publishing route right now? I do send out the odd query for new books, um, as and when I sort of finish them and deem them ready. But I'm also quite happy to, to stick with self-publishing. I mean, it, it's it's where it all started for me. And uh, it's, I've done quite well by it, to be honest. And are you doing audiobooks? <laughs> no, I'm not doing them myself. Um, I, I have my Ties That Binds trilogy and the first book uh, in the Best Day Plans duology, Where Loyalties Lie, are all released via audiobook. But that was arranged by my old publisher. But since I've, I've left them, um, I still have those audiobooks are still released, but I have uh, no sort of deals to put future audiobooks into place at the moment. But, you know, eventually, hopefully. Excellent. And then for you, Charles, you're uh, you're with an indie publisher uh, right now, right? Too actually. I've uh, also dropped a few indie publishers because I've had a couple of experiences like uh, Rob Hayes did. In fact, <laughs> we were actually published by the uh, same publisher at one point, and the experience didn't quite work out for us. It left a bit of taste in the mouth. <laughs> Yes, like raw sewage. It went with a hot poker. 
Do you have an agent right now, Charles? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. And are you looking to get an agent or be with a big five publisher, or do you have any aspirations? Or are you kind of just sticking with indie publishing for now? Well, it's interesting enough there because uh, my first publisher was uh, Amber Cove, which basically amounted to uh, a very successful self-published author in Jim Bernheimer, uh, starting to uh, publish other people and friends' uh, work. And that ended up selling something like 100,000 copies of uh, The Rules of Supervillainy. Uh, and I'm not really exaggerating those numbers. There was actually a bestseller, and I'm like, there's no way in hell that could be replicated by uh, your <laughs> one of the big five publishers any more than it already does e-wise. And it was all done with e-books, Kindle, and uh, audiobooks uh, because for whatever reason it just caught fire and it wasn't anything we did. And you know that that actually brought attention to that series. Uh, by other uh, publishers who were interested in that, and it was kind of one of the big five did approach me about that, and basically said like, "Oh, totally, we could get this in stores and so on." And I'm like, "What can you do for me that hasn't already been done?" Eventually, I got in contact with Crossroad Press, which is a, a, a large indie publisher, but still very indie, which was founded by rather famous authors who had felt screwed by traditional publishing. It's basically the Image Comics of of Kindle and audiobooks. And it had, uh, and they have things like the Stargate books, uh, Brian Lumley, Clive Barker, all these people who are who are going to this indie publishing because they felt burned by the traditional system. And when they start asked to publish my books, I was like, well, why not? I mean, I'm gonna. Uh, this is a very good deal, and it's been working out for me as well. And then about how many books are you writing uh, for, per year right now, Charles? Uh, that's an uh, point there. I I actually got delayed from releasing my books because. In addition to uh, the Super Alien Saga, which you know really has done well over the past uh, four or five years, that hundred thousand was like total sales. But with them, uh, I had, I was always like trying to write out many many books uh, to, that I thought were going to be full time series for me. And due to my issues with those publishers that I have since dropped, they got delayed like two three years <laughs> before I finally got the rights back to them. And all that time I was writing, so I do about maybe uh, either three large size books and two small size books, or five or six uh, small size books a year. I mean, by like 60k rather than novellas. Still novels, but on the shorter side of it rather than the typical 300 page, 100k book. And then, uh, Charles, are you writing uh, short stories? It's an interesting uh, case there because I am terrible at writing short stories, <laughs> no matter how many times I've made author. Because no matter as soon as I start writing a short story and I finish it, I'm thinking, you know, I could use that as the first chapter or a part of a much larger one. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Rob, you're a little bit more prolific when it comes to shorter fiction. You've actually had a story appear in uh, Grimdark magazine, and you have a, a, a compendium of short stories available a as well. What's your approach to writing short fiction? Um, well, most of the time when I'm writing a short story, I, I it, it's it's based in my my, my first Earth world that the ties that bind and, and best laid plans are also in, and I do it to sort of flesh out characters, you know, give some of their backstory or just just explore them myself. So a lot of the short stories I, I write in in that sort of regard feature. That those sorts of characters that have appeared in in the ties that bind as a way to sometimes humanize them or just to explore some of their history. Um, I, have, I have a habit, actually. If, if somebody tells me that they you know, really dislike one of my characters, I have a habit of writing a short story about them that makes them very likable. <laughs> but then, of course, when people say they really like one of my characters, I also have a habit of killing them off. So, you know, <laughs> oh, yes. roundabouts. I, being a fan of uh, Rob's writing is kind of a uh, exercise in masochism. <laughs> It's like being George R. R. Martin, except I can actually just contact him on Facebook or email and say, like, you bastard. 
<laughs> You've actually done that quite a few times. Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> you deserved every bit of it. <laughs> I'm not denying that at all. Um, I've, I've received a few bits of hate mail in in the past from killing off certain characters, actually. And well deservedly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, when you receive an email and it's actually a threat, you know, it's a little bit harsh, I feel. Are either of you uh, actively submitting to short story markets right now? Booknest.eu is doing an anthology about war, and uh, I've been thankfully invited to join that there. Ed Greenwood will be one of the authors in that, and I think it'll be one of my few very good short stories. And I hope uh, Adrian Collins, when he does the next uh, Grimdark Magazine anthology, will uh, see fit to include one of my short stories. I've been published in Grimdark Magazine as well. It was one of my uh, cyberpunk stories. Yeah, and you've got you've written some nonfiction articles as well for Grimdark Magazine. Yes, I called uh, Joe Abercrombie's First Law Trilogy the anti-Tolkien, where, and I charted how a lot of the more interesting yet seemingly random moments are actually him just making fun of uh, the Lord of the Rings. Rob, are you submitting any more short fiction? Um, not really, no. I mean, it's not something I, I actively try to write. I tend to... I find it very difficult to write short stories. I always want to make them longer. I always want to explore more about them. So uh, I don't tend to look at where I can submit short stories to. But things like Grimdark Magazine, um, I think Adrian actually got in touch with me and said, you know, do you want to submit a story? At which point I just went, yes, um, <laughs> I certainly do. And much with uh, the same with um, the Book Nest anthology. I was invited to participate in that as well. So it's not something I actively seek, but it's it's never something I, I turn down either if, if something's offered, basically. The Bookness Anthology, there's a funny thing. They uh, did a ranking of uh, just how popular each and every author uh, was by just ranking their Goodreads likes and uh, ratings. That's kind of funny. Me and Rob were neck and neck by like 32 likes. <laughs> so we were square, We were both square in the middle of apparently the, the most popular authors involved in the whole thing. I think we were, we were two of the larger of the self-published or independent authors, and, but everybody above us was you know, I think traditionally I think published big style. And we recently had a discussion about uh, Spiffbo 2016. Are either of you participating in Spiffbo 2017? I am a judge. Uh, okay. I'm participating. My pirates, where loyalties lie, are in Fancy Book Reviews group. So fingers crossed it goes well. It was interesting enough there that I uh, missed the chance to do a, a judging uh, of my own as, with my blog, the United Federation of Charles. But uh, Booknest was kind enough to invite me as a replacement judge for one of their own who couldn't uh, participate. And so I, you know, I'm obviously not judging any of my own work, but I, uh, I read five novels, chose one, and that was my part. These days, we have a lot of these kind of uh, contests and blogs and YouTube channels and many things to keep the public eye on us uh, as writers or creative people. Do you feel there's pressure on uh, more pressure on authors these days to publish more quickly or to keep content flowing constantly in order to stay in the public eye, in order to get invited to these anthologies or in order to get uh, a bigger uh, readership? Do either of you feel that? Rob, let's start with you. Um, I, I definitely think it's there. I don't think it's it's quite as important for the you know, traditionally published um, authors, you know, all you have to do is look at like, you know, the George R. R. Martins and the Pat Rothfusses who can release a book every five years and people will still be um, clamoring for the next one. <laughs> but uh, for, for self-published authors, I definitely think that it's, it's very important to be constantly releasing books um, to, to stay yeah in, in the public eye. I mean, I released the ties that bind back in 2013 um, it was very well received, and I sold a great many copies. 
but then you know due to uh, signing with a, a publisher and you know an independent publisher and the the delays that um happened uh where loyalties lie which was written the year after that in 2014 um has only just been released so you know there was four years between the releases of the of my first earth books Uh, and i'm i think i'm basically struggling to rebuild my my reader base that i had developed back in 2013 just because i'd been out of public eye for so long i hadn't actually had a, a of grimdark sort of book release in that long oh, yeah. it's taken you know a lot of my readership has, has fallen off so hopefully i'll be able to rebuild it but I, I i think it's 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 far more important for the self-published authors to keep themselves relevant it's even worse uh, for you because uh, some of your books uh, were driven out of print for some time because of the whole bugaboo so to speak oh yeah i mean ties that bind spent three or four months completely out of print while it was switching over and it's spent, it's taken another six months out of print as it's, it's now tra- the rights transferring back to me. So, yeah. um, but you know, that sort of thing happens <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the bigger issue for me was the fact that where loyalties lie was delayed for so very long. I mean, mm. you know, there was two or three years where it was written, where it was just sat there gathering dust. <laughs> Oh, I know that feeling exactly uh, there, and that's actually an interesting uh, point on my end because uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the same delay I suffered uh, that you did uh, pretty much killed two of my series. Esoterrorism was supposed to be the bedrock of my, of like a 12-book, uh, maybe even 20 uh, urban fantasy series, and the delays were like two, three years at that point. There was no interest, and – my mind went on to other projects, and this, and it's only now coming back, and I'm going to probably end it up in a, a trilogy. But I wrote on a bunch of other series, so that allowed me to keep in the public eye. And I do have cast a wide, if not particularly deep net, in the various genres that I do dabble into, and that's uh, helped me a great deal. I mean, I mean, all of my books combined basically amount to uh, what I sell on the supervillainy saga there, but that allows me the freedom to write what I want on otherwise. And I think that is definitely the case, as you say, that it's the independent authors who need to churn out content regularly to create their own fan bases because they don't have traditionally published market there to keep them in the public eye. Because you you can definitely be a successful independent author with a huge fan base, but I tend to think of those people as having like 50 books on various genres. Yeah, I think you find that the uh, the, the self, especially the self-published authors who who make it sort of well, make a, a decent living out of it. They tend to have a, a shit ton of books for sale, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, so if, if somebody buys one of their books, they'll hopefully buy others. And also, with we're spreading it to different genres, so that you know, somebody who's picking up one book in a science fiction genre, they they might find that off and then go, oh, actually, you know what? They also do fantasy. I'll I'll give that a read as well. So it's a way of catching new or uh, new readership, um, and also keeping the, the established readership. I think there is that element of, um, I don't know if this is because of Netflix culture or internet culture or whatever, but there tends to be this binging element to lots of things these days, even with a series. A lot of uh, readers are gun shy about picking up a series if it's not complete. You have to almost complete something in order to get certain fans to jump, jump on the wagon, so to speak. I think that's that's very dangerous for um, the traditionally published market. Um, you need to look at someone like uh, uh, Michael Fletcher, Michael R. Fletcher, to to see that. Where he released Beyond Redemption, 
despite it being an amazing book, it did not sell well enough. So they declined to pick up the sequel. Um, and that, that's the sort of thing that can happen if a book, do, if the first book in a series doesn't sell well enough, um, the publishers can just go, right, we're done, cut our losses. So, you know, it, it's dangerous for the authors, for readers to only pick up a series once it's complete. Oh, yeah, uh, that's uh, very true. And uh, it happened a lot more than I think people will ever realize in the traditionally published market there. Uh, we had... Uh Oh, one of my wife's favorite authors was Rochelle Mead, and she did a, a fantasy series about a fairy hunting bounty hunter, and uh, it just did not do as well as her other famous works. And despite having an actual movie made out of her other series, her publishers just cut her off at three, what was to be a seven-book series, and she just had to wrap it up all, all at the end. And uh, that's something that's also another reason why I'm not entirely enthusiastic about moving to traditionalized publishing, because the freedom you can get by being a self-published or independently author is just so much more important if you can at least get some money from your system. Uh, there was a, a clever little thing that an independent self-published author, who I won't uh, name because I don't have a permission, he said the best way to make a permanent living writing nowadays is to get 50 to get 60, which is uh, that you know, if you, even if you get a tiny little dribble of people buying all of your books, all of that will end up amassing because we no longer have books going out of print thanks to Amazon. And you can have uh, you can live off of the proceeds of many uh, books getting small amounts of money rather than just the big boom in the store sales and then all that disappearing. Well, I think we're getting ready to wrap up the show and finally step into the, the Thunderdome. Uh, Philip has prepared a little game. Like he does for every episode, because he's the resident fucking game master here on the Grim Tidings <laughs> podcast. So I'm the game master. Everybody, listen to me. Roll initiative. So, what game do oh, you have no, planned one. for today, Philip? <sighs> okay, so this is a kind of a flashback to our youth. We're going to do a truth or dare version of Thunderdome, where you can choose truth or dare. If you choose truth, I will ask you a possibly difficult question to answer in a a way that won't get you in trouble. And if you choose a dare, you will probably have to do something humiliating. And then whoever gets the most points will be the winner of today's Thunderdome. Sound effects. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Charles, we're going to start with you. Would you like a truth or a dare? Uh, the truth will set me free. Okay, so if you refuse to answer this question, you're going to get a zero. And then... <sighs> And then Rob can st steal it from you for one point. Okay, so truth question for Charles. Which author have you always secretly hated, but you didn't want to tell anyone? Oh, uh, that's an interesting uh, question right there. Uh, I have no ability to get into Glenn Cook. Oh. Uh, I mean, I love the Black Company and concept, but I just am not feeling it, man. <laughs> not uh, feeling not it. Not I'm, feeling I'm the characters or the plot or the world or what's the... It's like, I, f I feel like there's this really gritty, interesting story about being the special forces of Sauron, and it's just mostly them just hanging around talking about after the fact of all the battles. And I'm like, I want to see the battles. It just uh, it just isn't uh, working for uh, me, and I feel bad about it because it's obviously a series very close to the heart of so many fans. And okay. it does humanize the, the stormtroopers, so to speak. All right. Well, you got one point for letting that cat out of the bag, and hopefully, uh, no Glenn Cook fans will come looking for you. Oh, I'm dead. I'll I won't live the night. <laughs> okay, so that's one point for Charles. Okay, Rob, would you like a truth or a dare? 
Uh, I'll start off being a wuss. I'll I'll have a, a truth. Okay, truth. Uh, what is your current guilty pleasure in the fantasy realm? Something that you would not want to admit that you like to most people in the fantasy realm. Say my books. Could be, could be TV show, <laughs> TV show, books, movie, video game, anything. I I I do quite like your books, Charles, but I don't think that's a guilty pleasure to be honest. <laughs> quite good. I hate Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think I have anything that I'm actually guilty of. Of you know, I I, I consider a guilty pleasure in the terms of fantasy. I'm afraid. Um, or just any guilty pleasure. It can be any guilty. Any guilty pleasure. pleasure. Well, sure. I'm a big fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise. And they're terrible. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah, uh, they're absolutely awful, and I love them. <laughs> I'm only going to steal that point. <laughs> I also hate cars. I don't drive. I, I I don't even you know I don't like anything about cars. But I I just you know I like watching Vin Diesel and The Rock drive around and hit things and survive impossible things. Does The Rock do wrestling moves on characters in the movies? Like does he do the rock bottom on people? He has rock. He rock bottom Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember which one it was. Fuck yeah! Uh, through a glass table as well. I was I was very impressed. <laughs> Did you do the people's elbow after? Uh, no, he didn't. No, no people's okay. Missed opportunity. Okay, that's one to one. Let's go next question. Charles, truth or dare? Uh, I still want to do a truth, but I hope to do one dare before this is over. Alrighty. Truth. What are your true unfiltered feelings of getting negative reviews? What do you really want to say to people when you get negative reviews? Well, it, that's an interesting thing there because a lot of authors are like, oh, I hate these when these happen there, and I just you know take them as criticism in high school is like devastating but it really depends on what they're saying that's the negative review because i don't mind people that actually have reasons for uh hating the plot in or characters or whatnot it's like okay you know case differ i i get a giddy joy whenever i get someone attacking me for being whatever reasons like having gay characters or being a social justice warrior just throwing out these crazy uh accusations uh that just show them to be a complete bigot or asshole <laughs> But I do hate people who are nitpicky about certain things. I've, I've gotten reviews. It's like, uh, this book was fine, except there was this one typo on uh, page 553. And I'm like, are you an English teacher? What the hell? <laughs> Did they give you one star for that? Uh, one, one person said they removed two stars for, the, for uh, three typos. So you were being kind by not removing three stars for each uh, one star for each typo? <laughs> Some fairly hard <laughs> punishment. I feel that, you know, self and indie published authors get that worse than traditionally published. I've found, you know, plenty of typos in traditionally published books and they don't get stars taken off them for it. <laughs> there's like 355 typos in the Hunger Games. <laughs> yes. And there's, there's like this collect, they did the, there's this website that I always pull out that had lists the most error written books and they're like massively famous, successful things that no one ever complains about the typos except apparently these English project. So that's that's another point. All right, Rob, would you like a truth or a dare? Go on, I'll be daring. Daring, okay. So uh, your dare is to scream really loudly that uh, this this phrase. I just shit my pants. You have to scream it really loudly. Really loud. Really loud. Uh, is, is the mic gonna go a bit crazy here? Hang on. <clears throat> you ready for this? Yeah. I just shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was good. That was really good. <laughs> I'm going to start the podcast with that. Just <laughs> yeah, start it. This is Rob Hayes. And I just shit my pants. Oh, that was good.
That was good. That's going to be our new tag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a well-deserved one, one point, point for that. Okay, the final question for Charles. Let's see if we're going to have a, a tie or a uh, tiebreaker. Okay, so truth or dare? Uh, if that's going to be the dares, I think I'll go with truth again. <laughs> okay. okay. That's just one dare. Okay. Uh, truth. What is something that you cut from one of your novels that you don't want anyone to know about? Oh, uh, that would be an interesting question. Uh, my One of the books I was working on early uh, was Cthulhu Armageddon, and I rewrote that book like six times because – each time I uh, reread the book, uh, my writing skill had noticeably improved, and I hated the results. Just to give you an idea about how it ended up, when I uh, finally uh, went to it back for the last time, it was 120k words, uh, about 350 pages. I sliced it down to 80k, literally like a third of the book, because it's like, okay, that's just boring, that's just boring, that's just boring. No, And now it's a much tighter, faster-paced book, but everyone was like... You cut away that much of the book? Yeah, because it wasn't any good. Okay. I learned uh, the power of editing. Let's go to the last one then. All right, Rob, would you like another Would you like another dare or <laughs> truth? I'll go for truth this time. Okay, truth. Let's see. Uh, what is a controversial opinion you have about grimdark or science fiction and fantasy in general? What is an opinion you have that you wouldn't normally want to share with people? I think a, a fairly unpopular one is I actually love tropes. I know it's it's kind of unpopular to overuse tropes, but I think the more tropes are there in, in books. Um, they're just fun, as long as they're not the Jesus analogy of the chosen one coming to save us, uh, who's a farm boy and all that lot. <laughs> Screw that. Um, but yeah, no, tropes, I love them. I thought it would be good to have a novel where it's just a bunch of farm boys have to kill each other to... <laughs> To be oh, like battle royale sort of yeah uh, like battle royale to see which one's actually <laughs> the chosen one yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah who's the real chosen one all you farm well, boys kill each other there was a uh, there was a video game where the premise was you were the stereotypical uh, farm boy there but you found out there were like thirty other ones that had died right before you so they just pick another one after you finished <laughs> yeah. that's just it that, it's uh, it's Gandalf just wandering around sort of like picking up farm boys going uh, you could be the chosen one get at it see how it goes. <laughs> He, he had to go after the hobbits because all the human farm boys were dead. <laughs> that's what happened to Pikachu. So that's a tie. Okay. Three to three. It's a tie. Well, one of the dares was uh, sing the intro theme to your favorite TV show. I would have liked to hear that. but I don't, th- I don't quite know how to sing the Twin Peaks theme. <laughs> you should go. Does that have to be favorite? I'd, I'd have just uh, you know, sang the Bucky O'Hare theme tune. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, now you have to. I'm willing to I'm willing to submit and give you uh, give you the victory if you do. <laughs> yeah, for the win, Bucky O'Hare. You'll get the win, the Bucky O'Hare. I'll do it if oh, you nah. want. I can't remember the words. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bucky, Captain Bucky O'Hare <laughs> goes where no rabbit would dare. <laughs> yeah, right, that's Charles. about as much as I can remember. <laughs> yep. Charles wins. Charles okay, Charles wins. <laughs> this is better than the, the an Audi. <laughs> Is, is there Screw a, the Hugos. <laughs> a medal, maybe. Congratulations, Charles. You are the winner of Author Thunderdome 2. Taking the, yes. the victory, leaving Rob J. Hayes in a pool of blood <laughs> and oh, broken publishing dreams. Where I belong, to be honest. Yeah. And his shit. And his shit. He shit on himself, remember? I, yep. 
That's Full Thursday. Blood, shit, and shit. <laughs> blood and shit. Just another episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. <laughs> That's what we'll title the episode. Author Thunderdome, Blood and Shit. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Accurate. <laughs> so that brings us to a conclusion of Author Thunderdome. Number two, we were going to close it up with uh, finding out what you're currently working on, any con appearances, and your social media contact info. And we'll begin with you, uh, Charles. What are you uh, working on presently? I'm working on the second I Was a Teenage Where Near book, which is a series called The Bright Falls Mysteries. And I'm also working on the sequel to Lucifer Star, which is Lucifer's Nebula. Excellent. And then uh, online, folks can find you at unitedfederationofcharles.blogspot.com for your blog and reviews. And then you have a website. And then are you on Facebook or Twitter? I am on Facebook and under, let's see, Charles Phipps. And on Twitter, I have the handle at Willowhugger because I didn't think that Twitter thing would come off and I was a big Buffy fan. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> and i'm too and i've got all my fans are on it now so i can't uh just switch over to something de- dignified well, you we'd, all, we'd all give willow a hug if we could yes yeah, so i just i'm just an ego terrorist or something that's just my excuse now you could say you're hugging willow from the movie willow uh that no that's worse <laughs> <laughs> sorry go ahead any con appearances for you charles uh no unfortunately i whenever something uh is being planned. There always seems to be a uh, life getting in the way. Uh, in this case, uh, my poor wife broke her leg uh, a few months back there, and that just wiped out my con appearances this year. Okay. Well, folks can check out your website or your social media, keep tabs on you, and then uh, pick up your books. And we've got uh, links to uh, Charles' books in the show notes as well. And then Rob J. Hayes, what are you currently working on? Uh, I'm currently working on a standalone novel called Never Die, which is a sort of Eastern martial art and anime themed um, sword and sorcery novel, uh, which is hopefully going to be quite good. Sounds cool. And then uh, con appearances coming up at all? No, I'm I'm far too much uh, of a wuss to do those sorts of things. <laughs> I keep meaning to, uh, but then you have to go out and interact with people, and it's hard work. But they're friendly people. They are, but I, you know, they're still scary. <laughs> <laughs> So no con appearances for either of you. Fine. Fair enough. And then uh, where can folks find you online, Rob? Um, you can find me on my website, which is www.robjhayes.co.uk. I'm on Facebook as Rob J. Hayes, I believe. And also, I think you can find me at The Heresy Within. And then on Twitter, I am, my handle is at uh, Rob of the Hayes. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure finally getting you both on the show. We've been, like I said at the beginning, uh, Facebook friends chatting back and forth with text messages for years now. So it's finally great to get you both on and have a actual conversation and let uh, our listeners know about the great books that you are coming out with. So a uh, successful author Thunderdome. Phil, what'd you think? Yeah, I remember. Uh, I don't remember who won the first Thunderdome. I think Seth and Kenny just hugged each other at the end. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> So do you guys want to virtually virtually have a handshake? A good good game? Virtual handshake. Good game. Oh, no, a virtual high five. Over his head. <laughs> Drop off his head. Yeah, keep, keep him down on the blood and the shit. <laughs> Stay down there. Yes, if he gets up, I'm running. Uh, well, congratulations again, Charles, and uh, thanks again, Rob, for coming on. That concludes this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. Be sure to drop by our website at thegrimtidingspodcast.com. As we mentioned before, check out our Facebook group, Grim Dark Fiction. Readers and writers, we are on Twitter as well, at Grim Dark Fiction, and check out our Facebook page as well. And Phil, today we are celebrating our three-year friendiversary. Happy friendiversary, sir. 
Happy Frame Reversary. Frame Reversary. The Grim Alliance has been going for three years now. We've been in the Facebook group. We've been doing the, the podcast now for two years. We, we have yet to even meet in person. But maybe, maybe San Jose 2018 Worldcon, maybe we can make something happen and we can unite as one at that event. Possibly we'll see what happens. If you, if you want to see me and Rob uh, in a nice uh, Rob, Rob-esque selfie picture... <laughs> Uh, he'll probably put some stupid fucking filter on my face. <laughs> if you want to see that happen, then encourage me to buy a plane ticket to San Jose yeah. next year, and I may show up. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. I'll tease it. I'll keep teasing. Talk to you later, will, friends. Will Phil show up? <laughs> that concludes this edition of the Grim Tidings Podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Rock on. Thunderdome style. Whatever that means. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.